Hey, this is Dr. Mike Barnett. It is an awesome privilege to fill the pulpit every Sunday at the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Having you listen to our messages on this podcast is an incredible blessing as well. And I pray that you will be encouraged in the Lord as you listen. It is vital that you commit yourself and your family to the Lord through the ministry of a local church. While it is a great blessing to have you listen to our messages, no one will be able to minister the Word of God to you or your family like a local pastor. So please do not consider this podcast as a replacement for your presence in your local church on Sunday. Be faithful, get connected, and God bless. Thank you, choir. And uh, we sang about victory in Jesus today, and that's one of the main theme of our message as we continue through 2 Peter, uh, the epistle of 2 Peter. And so I invite you to turn once again, and we'll be in chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. Remember the whole theme of 1 Peter is bearing testimony in trying times. In 2 Peter, it's bearing the truth in trying times. Holding forth to the truth of God, I think it's very pertinent that we look at these two epistles, and we have, and now we continue in 2 Peter. And you might recall from last week that we uh, considered how false prophets, false teachers are saying, and we're saying in Peter's day, and they say basically the same thing today, that sin is not sin, and God does not judge sin. And we looked at three different historical events recorded in the Bible where God does judge sin. We went to heaven and saw how He uh, would judge the angelic host who followed Luther, Lucifer, and we saw the pride of the angelic host and how it was judged for sin. We looked at the ancient world and saw the political leadership of the ancient world and saw how it's very pertinent to what's happening in our culture today and how God judged the ancient world with the flood. And then thirdly, we went to Sodom and Gomorrah and saw the aggression of the perverted world knocking on our doors, not only demanding to be tolerated, but demanding to be accepted and agreed with. And that's where we are today, very, very relevant to today, as all the Word of God is. But we hit on something last week about this character in the Bible by the name of Lot, Abraham's nephew. And um, I'm going to read the text, and we're going to talk about Lot today. And I entitled, the, the subtitle is, What the World Needs Now. And I want to tell you what the world needs now is victorious Christians. You thought I was going to say love, <laughs> because that song is now stuck in your head. Well, I hope and pray that the truth of God gets stuck in your head today as we see what the world needs now is, is a victorious Christians. Victorious Christians. Let's look at 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 4. 
For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them in the chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy lifestyle, the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds... The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust until the day of judgment to be punished. I want to remind you that the hinge verse, a key, the key verse upon which every truth from 2 Peter chapter 2 hinges is there in verse 9. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust until the day of judgment to be punished. Now, last time we looked at the second part of that verse and saw that God knows how to judge the ungodly. Today, we focus on how God knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. Now, the word temptations is an interesting word. When we hear the word temptation we uh, seem to automatically go to being tempted, to be drawn away, uh, enticed into sin. And that is certainly um, the meaning of temptation. But there's two applications. Sometimes temptation does mean that, to be enticed and to be uh, tempted to, into sin of omission or commission, whatever the case may be. But other times, the temptation, the word means trials, hardships, times of great discouragement, times when, when we just go ahead and just lapse on into failure and not victorious living. And so I think you can apply both to what he's talking about in verse 9. The Lord knows how to deliver us when we're enticed into sin, but the Lord also knows how to deliver us when we are in great trial. And this man from the book of Genesis that we talk about today, Lot, he probably had both of them. He did have both of them. He was tempted, enticed, there's no doubt, and he was also in great trial simply because of where he lived. Can you imagine living in a place that is bombarded with sexual sin constantly? Can you imagine living in a place that is full of corruption and vileness and violence? Yes, you can because you do. It's called our culture. Amen. It's called the United States. It's called the world. And Sodom is certainly a, a model uh, for what we're seeing happening uh, today. Now, if you ever read the account of the book of Genesis about Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah, and you ever considered the character of Lot, you would say there is absolutely no way possible that Lot 
was a believer. There's no way possible that he was one of God's people. He did some terrible things. There's no way he knew the Lord. No way he was saved. No way he had the Lord dwelling with him. Well, in our text, the Holy Spirit says twice, as a matter of fact, three times, indicates to us that Lot was one who knew the Lord. He would be a Christian. He was a follower of the one true God. He was one in whom God had done a work. He was saved. He was a follower of God. But yet he lived in Sodom. If you'll notice verse 7, Peter the apostle, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, talks about just Lot. Lot who had been justified. Lot who had been just as if he had not sinned before God. And twice in verse 8, he says he was righteous. He was righteous. How can this be? I mean, don't you remember? This man would have given his daughters to the Sodomites as they demanded uh, to see those men who had come to see him, the angels of God who came to see him. We're going to look at that in a moment. But this man was going to say, don't take these guests of mine. Here's my daughters. Do what you will with them. Now, how terrible is that? But Lot, the Bible says, was a righteous man. Second Peter says it twice. You know why Second Peter says it twice? Because I have a hard time saying it once. But I want to tell you that's what the Bible says about him. The Bible says he was righteous and he was just. How can this be? Well... It's a New Testament truth. It's a New Testament principle. Positionally, positionally, he was right before God. Did you know when you became a Christian that positionally speaking, you have a right standing before God? Romans chapter 6 says, when you become a Christian, that you were crucified with Christ... You were buried and you rose again with Christ in a new life. Positionally, you are just as if you've never sinned. That's how God looks at every born-again believer. That's position. That's Romans 6. That will never, ever change. As a matter of fact, in Romans uh, chapter 7 and 8, continuing on with that theme of our position in Christ, he says, who can make an accusation against us? You know, the Bible teaches that the devil stands before the throne of God accusing the brethren all the time. He says, ha, ha, look at Barnett down there. He's a pastor of First Baptist Church, and this is what he's thinking, and this is what he's considered. This is what he, look, and you know what the devil can say? Oh, Barnett, he's just a sinner. He's, he's just like everybody else in the world. He's just a sinner. And you know what? Sometimes his accusations are true. Are they true about you? But God says, let me see. All I see is the blood of Jesus. I just see somebody who's washed by the blood. I just see somebody who is clean. I don't see their sin. They've been forgiven. And their sins as far away from them and in my eyes as the east is from the west. That's our position. Positionally, Lot was righteous and he was just, but practically he had some issues. Practically he had some problems. 
See, Lot was saved by faith. That's what we would say. Romans chapter 4 and verse 5 talks about being justified by faith. And faith is counted to us for righteousness. But practically, Lot had some serious issues. Do you know the struggle in the Christian life is simply this? Here's your position, and here's your practice. And everything in between is the struggle for your practice and your practicality to meet your position. That's it. Now, you understand that. That kind of helps, doesn't it? And everything in between is what you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to conquer and overcome and live practically for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I could preach on this subject all day, but that's just the introduction. we got to move on. Lot, we've established, was a believer. And he lived in a wicked world. He lived there by choice. He did some terrible things. But the Bible says he was just before God. And he was righteous. And God knows how to deliver the righteous and the just out of trials and temptations. So I'm going to look at Lot today, and we're going to examine some scriptures, and I want to ask you a question. Are you vexed, and are you victorious? Are you vexed, and are you victorious? So first of all, let's look and see, like Lot, you might be a vexed Christian. As a matter of fact, I hope you are a vexed Christian. Look at verse 7 of our text, it says, And deliver just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation, filthy lifestyle, filthy society, filthy culture of the wicked. Lot was vexed. That word vexed is an interesting um, word. It's katapaneo in Greek. Now, doesn't that impress you? Uh, well, let me tell you what that is. That is a passive verb. In other words, it means that what was going on, what was going on in the world and those sodomites, they were vexing Lot. They were vexing him. The word means to be afflicted or to oppress. The sodomite world was oppressing and afflicting Lot. They were doing some terrible things. They were making trouble for Lot. They were persecuting Lot. Lot was suffering uh, the hand of persecution from the Sodomites. They were making trouble for him. Isn't that how it is in our culture today? It's just coming. It, it, I mean, folks, it's just in many cases it's already here. And also I think more is coming and it doesn't take, it doesn't take much to see that it's coming that believers today are going to be afflicted by this world. We're going to have some hard times. We're going to be vexed by this world if you stand for truth. Every time Lot would stand up and speak, you know what they would do? They would shut him down. Oh, I could just imagine them calling him all kinds of names. I mean, just all kinds of names. Vexed, he was vexed by the world. But not only that, Lot, verse 8, was vexed because of the world. Look at verse 8. 
For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. So the first, verse 7, the first word vexed, he was vexed by the world. They harassed him. They persecuted him. They caused trouble for him. They wanted to shut him down. The second word vex in verse 8 is a completely different Greek word. It's a completely different meaning. This word is in the imperfect tense and its active voice. The first word was passive, which means the Sodomites did it to Lot. But this word means Lot did it to himself. His own soul vexed him. And this particular word has a different meaning. It has a history of meaning. You know, some, have you ever noticed that even in our English language, some of the words we once used to use for one thing mean something totally different now? And I'm not going to get into that because I could and I'd get in trouble, but I want to tell you, um, there's, the world has stolen some wonderful words from us. Amen. Well, the same thing is in the Greek language. And over a period of time, these words kind of take on shades of meaning. This second word is basanizo. Interesting word. First of all, it started out meaning to be, be tried by a touchstone. You might not know what a touchstone is, but a touchstone was a flat rock, a flat piece of stone that uh, a jeweler would have or a coin maker would have. Somebody who worked in metal, with metal would have. And he'd take that touchstone, and if somebody paid him, maybe a merchant would have one, and somebody paid him silver with silver or gold coins, that merchant would take his touchstone, and he would get a pure piece of silver that he knew was pure, and he would scratch that stone. And some of that silver color would, would remain on the stone he scratched. And then he would say, okay, you paid me in silver. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use my touchstone. So he would take that coin and he would rub it on the stone next to where he'd rub the pure silver. And if it was the same color, the coin was pure. The coin was acceptable. If it was a different color, it didn't match the standard, see? And he wouldn't accept the coin. Counter counter, uh, bankers do it all the time today. Years ago... My red-headed wife, Miss Tracy, worked in a bank, and she was the busiest teller in all of Washita Parish. She had the drive-through at the bank on Thomas Road in West Monroe. I think it's Thomas Road. And one day she came home and she was all excited, and she said, "Guess what? I found I, I discovered some counterfeit money today." And I said, "How'd you do that?" She goes, "I just was counting the money, and I felt it. It felt different. It felt different." And uh, I, wanted, I wanted her to go get it and let's have it as a souvenir, but we couldn't. Well, counterfeit coins, a different color. And so the meaning there would be that, that, you know, the vexation of your soul, the trouble in your soul over what's happening in our country and in our culture, means that it's not the same color as the world. The world is 
not the same color as your soul. The touchstone colors do not match. And so we're vexed by the world. But then this word kind of migrated to mean torture. So it went from being tried on a touchstone to the word meaning tortured. And um, it meant to be troubled or broken. Are you troubled or broken about what's happening in our world today? And then, eventually, the word came to mean to toil. It, it, be, it was applied in later history to a mariner rowing a boat against a headwind. Do you feel like sometimes that's how God's truth and the church is? We're just not the same color. And second of all, it troubles and tortures our soul to see what's happening. And then it seems like we're just toiling against a headwind. We take two steps forward and four steps back. And these days it doesn't even seem we get forward. You see, our soul is vexed. And so when it says in verse 8, Lot was vexed, his soul was troubled. He was oppressed. He was down. He wasn't making any headway for the Lord. He wasn't growing and, and he wasn't winning anybody to Christ. And, and his soul was vexed. And it shows us how a Christian is today, especially we are vexed in that way. We are vexed in that way. And I want to tell you, friend, if you're not vexed by the world today, something's wrong with you. You're either, you may be of this world rather than just in this world. But I want to tell you, if you've got an ounce of Holy Spirit in you, and if you're saved, you've got all the Holy Spirit in you, you're troubled by what you see. You're troubled by what you see. And um, he was vexed by the world. They hated him. They didn't like him. And he was vexed because of the world. They oppressed him, and it tore up his own soul. And so what the world needs now is vexed believers. We need to be troubled with what's going on. That's when we're going to pray. That's when we're going to get busy, when we're vexed and we're troubled. But not only do we need to be vexed, we also need to be victorious. Lot was vexed, but he wasn't victorious. Man, can you imagine if Lot had been a victorious believer, maybe Sodom might not have been destroyed. Maybe, there, maybe when, you remember the angels came to Abraham and said, we're going down there to destroy Sodom, and Abraham started praying. Well, if there's ten righteous people, Will you destroy it? And he said, I won't. If there's ten righteous people down there, I will not destroy it. Maybe if Lot had been victorious, there would have been ten righteous people and Sodom wouldn't have been destroyed. But there wasn't, and he wasn't. And so Lot was vexed, as we should be, but unlike Lot, we also need to be victorious. And if you're vexed by the culture, vexed, by the culture, and you're vexed by the false doctrine that's being propagated all over, the false narrative, it's false teaching, 
then you'll want to be victorious. So let's look at Lot, and I want to show you why he was not victorious. So you ready? So go back with me to the book of Genesis. We need to go all the way to Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13. If you have a Bible like mine, it's on page 11. Genesis chapter 13. And I want to show you uh, why Lot was not victorious. And it's the same, answers the same question, how do you forfeit your victory? How do you get to the point where you might be vexed, but you're not victorious? Well, look at chapter 13, and the story is, uh, the background is, is that Abraham and Lot, call, uh, Abraham was called into the land of promise, and God said, I'm going to give you all this land, and, and Lot came with him as a nephew, and there they are in the land, and God is blessing, and God is prospering, them both, and um, finally, the, it just gets too much. They have, to, they have to divide. They have to separate their flocks and herds and, and everybody else. And so Abraham says to Lot, look all around you. Look around. Pick the direction you want to go and the land you want, and it's yours. You can have it. And the Bible tells us what Lot did in verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Even as the garden of the Lord, it looked like Eden, and the land of Egypt, as, thou, as you come into, unto the city of Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other." So the first thing that would cost Lot his victory was attraction. Attraction. He saw what the devil wanted him to see, and he chose the plain of Sodom. Lot was seduced by the lust of his eyes. That's what false teachers try to do, folks. That's what this world tries to do, show you something that seems to be pleasant and pleasing and productive and pros with prosperity. And, and you don't consider all that needs to be considered. You don't seek the Lord. And you just follow what you're attracted to, the seduction of false teachings and false things. So attraction, lust of the eyes. And then you see in chapter 13, also down in verse 12, Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan. And Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Now flip over to chapter 19 and we see something else. And, it, and there came two angels to Sodom at evening time, verse 1, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And Lot seeing them rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face to the ground. He still recognized the angels of God. But do you see, he went from attraction to the second loss of victory, acclamation. Lot at first saw it, then he pitched his tent toward it. He could sit out on his front porch and look at it every day. He liked it so much. And he acclimated a little bit more to it. And then ere long, he moved into the cities that were closer to it. And then eventually he moved into the city itself. 
And not only is he a citizen of that city now, but he's sitting in the gate. He's one of the aldermen. He's one of the leaders. And so acclamation is the next thing. Friend, I won't tell you, you know what happens is um, Lot forgot that he was just passing through there and he forgot that he had a city ahead of him made without hands and he forgot his mission as one of God's people and he failed to recognize that he was what First Peter said to the people he's writing to. They were strangers and pilgrims in this world. And Second Peter says he dwelt there in Sodom. He put down roots in Sodom. And he got acclimated to it. Now look, I'm going to, tell you, I'm going to get pastoral here real quick. And uh, this is not to rebuke you, this is to help you. You got kids in the house and grandkids. Let me tell you, let me tell you what acclimates your children to this world more than anything else does. It's that television. And it's that social media. You need to guard against it. Now, I didn't say throw it out. I mean, but Tracy and I were watching a show the other day, and we just looked at each other in disgust and said, this is terrible. It was one perverted sex joke after another. So I just, we're just not going to watch that anymore. So we, we, we want to watch Star Trek or Gunsmoke, amen, <laughs> something like that. Man, I, I was uh, off one day and I turned on TV and Andy Griffin came on. Now look, you're going to laugh at me for this, but I don't care. I, I'll laugh at you behind your back ten times more. <laughs> I was watching Andy Griffin. And I started to weep. Tears ran down my face. Because I thought Andy was going to whoop Opie. <laughs> no. Because I got to thinking how far we've gone in entertainment. To where a clean character can walk into a room and you start laughing. To where it has to be one line sex jokes or the people in our culture won't get it anymore. But you see, you get acclimated to that stuff. And I want to tell you, folks, what America laughs at, America soon embraces. I.e., the homosexual issue and transgender. Used to be laughed at. Jokes made about it. Now it's embraced, and if you don't embrace it, you're going to be vexed in this old world. So watch what your kids are getting acclimated to. Amen or oh me. And then if you go to 19 verse 4, look. But before they lay down, so Lot said, you can't stay in the streets. You've got to come to my house. This is a dangerous place to live. You've got to get in my house. And they said, okay. And he fed them. And, and before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter, and they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. Now, he's not saying, Please introduce us. They want to rape these men. They want to molest sexually these men, these, these men who came to Sodom. This is aggressive perversion in a culture. 
And so the third is accommodation because notice what Lot says. And Lot stood outside and shut the door after him. So he steps outside real quick and shuts the door so they can't get in. And he said, I pray you brethren. That's his first mistake. Let me tell you, that bunch isn't my brother. You're my brother. Amen. That's good preaching whether you like it or not. Do not do that. This is wicked. Now he had courage. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you and you do them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men don't do anything. For therefore they came under the shadow of my roof. So the third way to give up your victory, the third stage, is accommodation. This is beyond anything a father you would think a father would do. But the point is, is when you were not a victorious Christian, friend, you're going to accommodate the world. And that's what Lot tried to do here, even to the detriment of his daughters. Incredible. Incredible. So, attraction, acclamation, and accommodation. That will zap your victory. That's the three-throat strike of the hammer to bury your victory. And that's exactly what happened. So, he was vexed, but he wasn't victorious. We need to be vexed. If we stand for truth, we're going to be vexed by the world. And I pray that we're so sensitive to the Holy Spirit and in tune with the Word of God that we are vexed because of the world. So what do you do? What, what do we need to do? How, how do we get victorious and stay victorious? Well, let's look and see. I want to give you just a few things. First of all, repent. Repent today. Repent now if you are not living a victorious Christian life. It is urgent. Lot lost his whole family because he was vexed but not victorious. We're going to lose our whole culture because we're vexed. Oh, absolutely, but we're not victorious. We're losing this country. Inch by inch, we're losing ground. And you may lose your whole family to this world. If you'd go down and look, look in chapter 19, when, uh, verse uh, 16, if you will. The Bible says here, finally, they said, you got to get out. You got to get out of here. We're going to destroy this country. And God knows how to deliver the righteous out of trials and temptations. So we're getting you out right now. Make haste and get out. But notice what verse 16 says. Lot lingered. He lingered. He needed to repent and get out of there. But instead, he dilly-dallied around. And he lingered. And the angels had to take him by the arm. Where is your urgency, dear Christian? Dear church, where is your urgency to turn back to the Lord and become victorious in your Christian life? Perhaps he, if he had the urgency to heed God's warning and do God's will, he would have had more influence on his family. Perhaps so. The Bible teaches us in this chapter that he said, well, I got, I got to go talk to my sons-in-law, the ones who married my other daughters. And the Bible says he ran to his sons-in-law their home, 
And he saw that they were impacted by this culture. They laughed at him. And then his wife, Genesis 19, 26, as they were leaving, don't look back, get out. And what happened? His wife looked back in verse 26, said she turned into a pillar of salt. Now, by the way, you know what that means, that she turned into a pillar of salt? You know what that really means? It means she turned into a pillar of salt. <laughs> Amen. I get so tired of these people trying to find symbolism and stuff like that. She turned into a pillar of salt. And it's probably been dissolved by rains through the century. But you know what? Lot let Sodom get in his wife, but he never could get his wife out of Sodom. And he lost it. He lost his victory in his home. And she was indwelt by the culture. And then his daughters, chapter 19, verse 30, once they came to where they were safe, it was Lot and his daughters, his two daughters. And you know what they did? They got him drunk so they could be impregnated by him. That's what they did. And so his sons-in-law were impacted by the culture and laughed at Lot, vexed his soul, just like the culture did. And then his wife was indwelt by the culture, and he never could get her out of it, had a worldly wife. And then his daughters were imitating the culture. He lost his whole family to the culture. Maybe if he had repented sooner. Maybe if he had been victorious. But he wasn't. It's time to repent, church. Repent. Judgment must begin in the house of God. And we need to repent of our sin. There's many sins. But I want to tell you one sin is, is, is doing things without doing our purpose. We're going to be preaching on that later this year. Second of all, this is what you need to do. You need not only to repent, but you need to do what Peter instructed us to do. What Peter instruct us to do? Well, in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, uh, 1 Peter, he told us to make our calling and election sure. Make sure you're saved. Make sure you're saved. Ask God to examine your heart. I read a little story of an itinerant preacher, a circuit riding preacher. You might remember the days of circuit riding preachers. We had a few of them in East Texas, and they would go to these quarter-time churches or, and, and once a month or by, uh, you know, half-time churches and go once a, twice a month from church to church. One Sunday they'd be in a month in, in a church, and then the next Sunday in another church circuit riding. The Methodists used to do it when the churches were small. And one church would put him up in an inn, a small inn in the community. And there was a young girl who worked in that inn, and he would, she would bring him his, his meal before he'd go up to his room. And he started a witness to her. And she said, well, I'm not interested in that. I just have to think about that. And he said, well, I'll tell you what to do. Pray and ask God. Say, God, this is all you need to say. God, show me myself. Show me myself. Well, he went off, and the next month he came back, and she sat down at his table, and she began to weep, and she started to cry, and she talked about how she was a sinner and she didn't know what to do, and she was in great desperation. And he said, well, now you need to pray, God, show me yourself. Show me yourself. And God saved her. Well, 
You need to make your calling and election sure. Ask God to show you yourself. And then ask Him to show you Himself. And so, and, and I, I want to tell you folks, you might be sitting in the congregation today and you're saying, oh, well, Lot got out. At least he got out. I want to tell you, if that's your attitude, you're no more saved than this block of wood right here. Because when you got saved, God put something in your heart that surpasses the desires of this world. He's given you a new nature, and He's given you a hunger for the Word of God, and He's given you a desire to be obedient to Him. And you're not going to be one that sits and say, Oh, I'm just going to have one foot in the world and one foot in heaven, and I'm going to be okay. At least Lot got out. Let me tell you something. That's not what the Bible describes as a Christian. Amen? A Christian wants to be victorious. Lot wanted to be victorious. That's why his soul, his soul was vexed. He vexed himself. A Christian wants to be. A Christian wants to be. I'll tell you another thing. I get, I get weary of these, these people say, well, you Baptists believe in once saved, always saved. If I believed that, I would just live like I want to live and do what I want to do. I agree with you. I do what I want to do. I don't want to commit adultery. I want to be faithful to my wife. I don't want to go on a cussing binge. I want to speak encouraging words. Amen. I don't want to go out on a drinking binge. I like ice water. That's what I want to drink. Huh? I don't want to kick up my heels and, and party. I want to be with God's people on mission. I'll have my party when I get to heaven. I do exactly what I want to do. Amen. And when God puts, puts himself in you and gives you his Holy Spirit and his nature, he gives you a new want to. Amen. He gives you a new want to. And so do what Peter instructed you to do. Look, look, go back to 1 Peter chapter 1. And I know I've preached too long. No, I haven't. That's a lie. I'm still preaching. Or 2 Peter chapter 1. And he says, make your calling and election sure. And he says, give diligence and add to your faith. Verse 5, he says, give all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and knowledge self-control. In other words, you grow in the Lord. You do the disciplines of the Christian faith to grow in the Lord. Third, trust the Lord for your deliverance. Chapter 2 and verse 9, trust the Lord for your deliverance. He knows how to deliver you. Amen. He knows. And then stand firm in the Lord and the power of His might. Learn to pray. Learn to pray. You know how you learn to pray? You start praying. And you spend time in the Word of God. That's how you learn to pray. You speak the mind of Christ. Be bold for this Christ, this, in this Christless culture. Be bold for Christ. And then, win the lost. Win the lost because God knows how to, how to reserve the unjust for judgment. He knows. They're not going to be saved any other way. And your loved ones, your friends, your children, you know, their lostness. Man, if you've got a, a child that hadn't been saved yet, uh, be victorious. Be victorious. Their lostness is, forces you to be victorious. Be vexed over them. 
Be vexed for the lost. Win your lost children. What are you waiting for? Don't linger. Don't linger. I mean, it don't linger like Lot lingered. Win them to Jesus. And that's how you be victorious. So we are vexed. That's part of being saved is to be vexed by this world. Old Jeremiah the weeping prophet, he was vexed. He wrote the whole book of Lamentation. Be, you're vexed if you're saved and walking with the Lord. You've got a vexed soul. You're looking around and you're seeing this garbage going on in our world. And Can you imagine? Look, and I, I don't want to offend anybody. And if, So if you get offended, it's your choice, not mine. But look, we got a person on the Supreme Court who thinks you have to be a scientist to know what a woman is. That doesn't tear you up. That doesn't trouble you. What's wrong with you? Huh? That bothers me. But thank God, Mississippi led the charge and we're soon possible going to see Roe versus Wade because some Mississippi lawyer led the charge. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? I'm so happy about that. You know, I have my suspicions, but a number of years ago, I was in a meeting with Phil Bryant, and I don't know why, but he pulled me aside, and he said, Doc, Dr. Barnett, I want to tell you something. I'm going to make a promise to you. I'm going to do everything I can to eradicate abortion out of Mississippi. And I said, well, Governor, if you can do that, God will bless our state. Do you know we have more? We are better off economically in Mississippi than we ever have been, than in most states. And I want to tell you, I believe it's because God's blessing us. Because our culture, here in Mississippi at least, is going counter-culture. Amen? Huh? And you know it's good because I hadn't said one word about Texas. (laughs) Amen? I'm just singing hallelujah about all that, huh? Be bold for Jesus. Choose somebody that's lost and needs to be saved. Win them to Christ. Pray for them. Go after them. Be aggressive about it. And see what God does and how victorious you can be. Let's stand for our song of a... This is Cole Andrews, the family minister here at First Baptist Church, Ocean Springs. I want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into our podcasts and sermons today. We surely hope you have been blessed by the Word of God. I'd like to encourage you to visit our website, fbcosms.com, to learn more about our church. We sure would love to see you in church on Sunday. May God bless you.